Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is this. Let's go, let's go! Show up on day one, work out with us for 30 minutes, feel good right away. Yo! Repeat five days a week for three weeks. Three weeks? Five workouts a week. We're body, and we call that a body block. You pick the block, and you're going to love the experience. On week four, this part is really important. Take the week off. Seriously, we mean it. Rest, go on vacation, or try something new. Maybe some yoga. Notice you're not holding on to any tension here. Or a dance class. Get sexy with it, daddy. You do you. And then start again. Be committed to this process. Choose a new body block each month. Get a new challenge each month. Have fun every day. Avoid burnout. You're not going to quit on yourself today. This is how you reach your goals. You win? There is nothing that we can't do if we work together. Sign up for your first body block today. Visit body.com for a free trial. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Are you ready to get started? Real Moms of Bravo. Real Moms of Bravo. Real Moms of Bravo. Real Moms of Bravo. We are so excited to be joined by Lauren, the baby sleep fairy. She is trained in several sleep methods, SIDS prevention training, CPR training, and a mom of two herself. Uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me guys. I'm so excited to be on today. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. I was researching you and I saw that you were a pre-law kind of by education background and then found your yeah. way into sleep training. So I'm curious to hear that journey. Yeah. Isn't it all funny how it began? So I, um, I've been doing this professionally for about seven years, but you know, pre baby sleep consultant, my big focus, you know, was in business and marketing. And I minored in pre-law, um, at Oregon state university. But as I was doing all of this, I was doing a lot of early childhood education, just, you know, hands-on private centers, private daycares. And that was, you know, from my teen ages. And so I always, you know, was in the mix, if you will, with, you know, young children and really paying attention to, you know, their, their social behaviors. Cause I thought that was so interesting. You know, you apply a certain learning method or parenting technique, and then you get this certain outcome. Um, so I was always really interested in just how, you know, younger children worked and clicked, you know, based on sort of the science behind it all, you know, neurologically and biologically, and then of course, behaviorally. Uh, but what really, you know, threw me into the baby sleep category was I really felt after I had my first baby at 30 and I was actually one of my first friends, um, in Southern California to do so. So I didn't have a ton of support and I felt like there was a real lack and need for somebody in this niche, if you will, to provide answers and not just like fluffy answers and not, you know, hardcore, um, old wives tale answers, but like realistic information that you could, you know, depend on and trust. Like I, there's the baby sleep books, but there was nobody to call at the end. There was no website to go on to and find out more information. So, um, after I had my first daughter, I don't know what I was thinking, but on my maternity leave with two kids, 20 months apart, I decided to also enroll in a program to actually become certified. And that gave me 250 hours of pediatric sleep training. And then here we are seven 
years in, I've, you know, helped four to 5,000. I'm literally losing count. So I got to be close to 5,000 families worldwide now, all different cultures, all different sleeping situations with that realistic, modern approach to sleep shaping and sleep training. Um, and then just with friends, family, and my own children, I was able to see not only is it possible to get your baby sleeping just through some actually, and it sounds funny, but when they're newborns, it's actually easier than you think. But if you don't have the tools to get there, it can make it really difficult. Cause I didn't have those tools. I am one of those parents that did not have them. <laughs> and I thought I'm like, Oh, I've, you know, I've been working with kids all my life. I know exactly what I'm doing, but the hospital classes don't teach you how to get them to sleep. It's just diapers and bathing and how to build a, a crib and you know, all that good stuff. So, um, I was able to then get my kids both sleeping by the time I would have returned to corporate life, but I actually did step away from corporate life. And here I am. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. It is so overwhelming. I remember. So I love that your kids are 20 months apart. Mine are 16. So it, it's yeah. a blur. I yeah, vaguely remember some of it, but, um, I don't know how both of you do it <laughs> hearing you. I have like hives thinking about that, but they're like twins. Yeah. I mean, now I keep telling Vanessa, I feel like the second half of my life is starting. Cause mine are almost yes. four and two and a half. So they play together. I can kind of trust the four-year-old a little bit, which is nice. That's not constant supervision, but, right. um, it is, it's a lot in the beginning, but I think just for any new parent, it's so overwhelming. There's just so many books out there from like, oh, you have to do cry it out or, you know, don't let them sleep in your room. Let them sleep in your room. Co-sleep. Don't co-sleep. What do you think are like some common mistakes new parents make when they're approaching sleep behaviors and sleep training? Well, you know, with sleep training, number one, if you Google sleep training, and I always tell people don't Google sleep training, just DM me on Instagram. I'm, I'm here. I'm the real person behind it. Um, because what, what you're going to find on Google is just like Googling, you know, who should run for president. You're going to get so many different answers that all they're all conflicting advice. You're going to have some that say, never let the baby cry and never sleep train. And then you're going to have the other side that says cry it out is the answer, you know? And so, I really advise people not to do too much research, but instead read out, reach out to a trusted expert. Hopefully you'll reach out to me, um, <laughs> um, at sleep and the city, but just to really minimize, you know, I, I just want to get rid of all the noise and really clue you into what's going on with your baby and give you an approach that works for you. Because also what worked for your neighbor is probably not going to work for your baby. If your neighbor's baby takes these glorious, beautiful naps and your baby's sleeping 20 minutes a day, I bet you a million dollars your baby doesn't sleep very well at night and your baby sleeps better. So there, everybody's not always including every piece of the puzzle when we sit at our mom groups and go, oh, my baby sleeps all night. But he takes terrible naps, you know, we yeah. just push on that part because we want to feel accomplished. And, you know, we don't want to seem, I feel like a lot of people say to me, you know, I've had a hard time reaching out because I didn't want to admit to failing in some area. And you're definitely not failing. It's just the tools aren't readily available. And, you know, seven years ago when I started, I couldn't find any. And so I wanted to be that person that people could reach out to. Um, and that would, I think that would probably be kind of the biggest you know, thing I would recommend is, you know, starting early, finding a trusted expert and teaming up with your doctor as well. And starting early, do you mean, I mean, I think it's overwhelming. I think about my first and, you know, you're so sleep deprived as a mom and you're dying to sleep. You're like looking for control. I think as moms, you want something to control and babies in those first couple of weeks, they control you. Like they will wake up, they'll cry, they need to eat. 
is kind of, it's very cyclical. I'm right. kind of living it a little bit right now with my eight month old, but it, how early is there, is it too early to start sleep training? Like, I feel like there's those first four weeks at your home with your newborn, like it's kind of like, just get acclimated. Like at what, when should you start, you know, consulting with an expert like yourself? Like when's a good time to do it? So I always say being proactive is better than being reactive. So, um, you know, from a realistic standpoint, you know, I'm really careful to use the phrases sleep shaping and sleep training. Sleep shaping can be done with routines, bedtime routines, nap time routines, eat, play, sleep, encouraging baby to fall asleep on their own under specific circumstances within a specific amount of um, wake window of time. That would be zero to four months. And so people can come to me when they're pregnant, expecting, look at my newborn class or book an appointment with me and say, what are the things that I can do in the first four weeks, the first eight weeks, the first 12 weeks to really get on the sleep shaping train. Now, when it comes to sleep training, I think sleep training is what a lot more people are familiar with. And I I do use different terms. Not everybody does on Google. So if you type in Google sleep shaping, you might get different answers. Okay. But sleep training, I recommend a having your doctor's approval and then, uh, be your babies at least four and a half months. And then C you're taking a look at their daily nutritional intake, because it's really important. If you are going to start a sleep training program that you really focus on bulking baby up during the day so that we can reduce the need for feeds at night. Because I would say maybe about 70 to 80% of moms that come to me for sleep training, babies still, you know, a five month and up old baby is still feeding. Oh, I don't know, four to eight times per night. And so we really work to move those calories into the daytime. So oh my God, my heart hurts for those moms. <laughs> like right now, my baby, she only wakes up. She's actually fingers crossed, knock on wood, crossing all my toes and fingers. She's actually <laughs> been sleeping through the night pretty good, but we'll wake there you up go. like maybe once. Like last night she woke up around one, eight, and then was out. But Oh my goodness. My heart hurts for any mom who has a kid waking up four, eight times. Yeah. And you know, random wakings are normal because they happen to us as adults too. You know, I would say anything that happened more than three days in a row, that's when you're going to want to say, okay, I need to look at my schedule, my wake windows, my routines and adjust where needed. You know, people reach out to me, oh, you know, a week ago, this happened one time. And I say, oh, you know, don't even, don't even stress it. It's just, you know, part of growing up and development. So another part of development is the dreaded regressions and they're the worst. (laughs) And the funny thing is my first never went through a sleep regression. And I don't know if it's because I supplemented with formula more. And I know there's a lot of people say Mm -hmm. that doesn't matter, but I'm wondering if maybe he just bulked up enough that he just somehow skipped it. But my second went hardcore, hit every regression you could imagine. I think even made some up along the way. Why do they happen? Why do some kids not get them? You know what? Maybe explain it. Cause I do think people are like, oh, watch out four months sleep regression. And you start dreading four months, right? You don't even know why it's happening. So it's hard to know how to support and comfort your child. Yeah. And what's funny is each regression. So there's five big ones just to cover my bases here for, um, you know, those of us that don't know five of them exist. There's four months, eight months, 12 month, 18 month, and 24 month. And these are all big developmental leaps. 
the four month regression is definitely more neurological. So, you know, it's advancements in the brain. They're starting to realize the world around them. Okay. And they're often distracted. They feed less during the day. They wake up more during the night. We start feeding them more during the night. And then you've got a baby at five five months old that's waking all night for feeds. Um, The other regressions, you know, um, eight month is really in line with starting to crawl, rolling over 12 month is learning to walk 18 month is a verbal explosion. And then 24 month is a big part of separation anxiety. So there's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always show its form in the same way, if you will. So the characteristics of what you'd see at four months would be different than what you would see at 18 months. For example, Uh, my own children, uh, my son, the four month one got him. And then my daughter, it was the 18 month one that got him. But to be honest with you, I think by the time my daughter was 18 months, I was more clued into what they looked like. So I knew it was happening. Uh, regressions can also only last for maybe two weeks at a minimum and a max of four weeks. So it could have been that maybe you didn't know of the signs or you didn't know that, oh, baby's, you know, waking up again at 5 a.m. for two weeks. Oh, that was weird you know, that was the regression. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it can be really, really minimal, you know, minimal, like taking a short nap all of a sudden when they were previously taking a long one. So I think, you know, here and there it shows in different ways, but the level that it affects each child does vary. I've always referenced the wonder weeks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, So I I love that app on my phone and usually I can tell if there's a storm coming yes, and that a regression or some big developmental milestone is coming. And that might be why she is acting fussier than normal or whatever. It's interesting. Right. Wonder Week 19. Yeah. Wonder Week 19 is a big one. Right. So, um, and that's right around the four month regression as well. You know, overall fussiness, short naps, you know, unwilling to go in the crib, drowsy, but awake, maybe increased night wakings, you know, bedtime battles, things like that. You brought up a good point that, you know, some kids like your neighbor might be bragging about their kids naps, but you hear nothing about their nighttime sleep. It does seem that kids either kind of fall into one category or another. They're either going to be really great nappers or they're going to be really good like sleeping at night. Do you find that to be true? Um, when you aren't zeroing in and maybe, you know, working because re- here's the thing I really focus in my business on, I'm choking. It's dusty in here. In my business, I really focus on the science behind the sleep. So really, you know, zeroing into what's going on with the body and the brain and how our routines affect the behavioral outcome, all that good stuff. So when it comes to, you know, baby that's napping a really long time, but not sleeping well at night or sleeping really well at night, but not napping well, I think it all boils down to, you know, what our expectations are for children, you know, this young, especially under 12 months, you know, for a baby that is perhaps on a two nap schedule, for instance, they should be sleeping about a minimum of two hours a day for naps, but no more than three if you want to get 11 hours at night. Now this math is crazy. I do this math in my head all day long, but you know, if you, if you think about what I just said, we're shooting right around for right around 13 to 14 hours total per day for, I would say a six to 15 month old baby. And oftentimes 
if baby is napping, let's just say the baby's napping 10 hours during the day, just to make the math really easy, <laughs> they're only going to sleep three to four hours at night. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it all really shifts around, but in general, you're looking for about 13 to 14 hours total, but it really depends on the number of naps too. So if you let them nap too long, they don't sleep as long at night. So I have a cat napper. Both of my girls are, have been notorious cat nappers. They'll sleep for like 30 minutes and then they're up Mm -hmm. or maybe they'll get one good nap. Um, and I found myself with sleep shaping, sleep training that once they start daycare is kind of like all things go out the window and so much of that's out of your control. Do you have any advice for you know, working parents who have children and their childcare is in other people's hands when it comes to napping. Cause I've gotten to a point where I'm kind of just going with the flow and controlling what I can control on the weekends and at home and sticking to an established routine and, um, following kind of the eat, sleep, play. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. I worked in an infant room. So zero to 12 months for three years. And, you know, you see, you know, we, we only did, you know, one nap. And and again, this was years ago. So, but we only did one nap, but it really, you know, clued me in to what goes on at daycare, you know, versus what we can do at home. Um, also with my first, I did go back to work for four months. So he was in a daycare environment and I think, you know, under 12 months, what, again, it's, you know, it boils down to what our expectations are in a daycare setting that is a a larger daycare. You know, there is going to be a lot of turnover. There's going to be a lot of chaos in the infant room, meaning a lot of crying babies on different schedules, people coming in and out, going for lunch, uh, subs coming in, uh, a lot of daycare workers are part-time. So different teachers, there's all this bustle with a little newborn. It's all so overwhelming that they often take short naps at daycare. So I always say, you know, to moms and families with children under 12 months, if you can sneak in a later cat nap in the day, you know, maybe when you pick them up from daycare, that's great just to bridge that gap until bedtime, because it's likely that their napping minimum for the day was not met. That's really helpful. I've the transition to daycare. I think it was harder the first time around, maybe because I was so like fixated on getting them on a schedule. Yeah. And then the second time around, it's kind of like, well, whatever I do is going to kind of go out the window. Cause like you said, it's chaos. It's a different environment. There's new people. There's usually new, like there's babies moving up, new babies coming in. So it is a lot for them to take in and it does it change a lot. And I think with that, then I also had to pivot and kind of evaluate bedtime, which I feel like is kind of like one of those things that I'm always wondering, you know, you'll hear somebody like, oh, I put my kid to bed at nine and they wake up at 9am. I'm like, well, that would be kind of nice. But then like, I realized, you know, my kids have to go to daycare and So, I mean, when it comes to bedtime, you know, knowing that there's a total number of hours of sleep you want them to get, what's the best approach to determining a good bedtime? Typically, uh, I would say between seven and eight is a really good time for babies to go to bed because then you're going to get a wake up time of between 6 a.m. and seven. So depending on where your naps land, you know, three naps, you'll get naps at nine, 12 and three, for example, two naps, you'd get them at maybe like 10 and two 30. So what that does is, you know, pushing bedtime to seven and eight, that still allows the child, you know, to eat dinner with the family once you're starting solids and the between six and seven seems to be the time that everybody gets going, especially, you know, if you're um, a working mom, or even if you just need to get up and going for the day, uh, I think that was right in the zone you want to be in. And then Did how, that answer your question? yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay. And then how do you, like, how do you evaluate when to adjust it as they get older? Cause I noticed my mm-hmm. almost four-year-old 
you know, we kept trying to put him down around seven because that's when his younger brother went to sleep and they are only 16 months apart. But I realized that he really wasn't falling asleep most nights till 730, 745. So we've okay. kind of started shifting his just so we can like, I wanted to like redo him. I don't want to start bad habits where he's just playing in bed, but what's right. like a good way to evaluate? Like maybe it's time to push bedtime back a little bit. Right. So definitely with age comes extended wake windows and definitely in the example, you know, your children are 16 months apart or even three years apart. There is going to be a larger wake window for the older sibling, even if a nap is still involved, but that does give you the luxury of staggering the bedtime. So sometimes parents, you know, can conquer and divide, or we ask the older one to do something quiet on their own while we help brother or sister, you know, younger brother or sister. And what I find is this also gives you that one-on-one time with your child, the older one and the younger one, because I do find that into toddlerhood. So after two years of age, that some children wake up in the middle of the night, just to have that one-on-one time with the parent, because they aren't getting it during the day because, you know, older sibling has to go to school or help with homework or baby's crying and needs to be fed. And so it's, it really carves out time for you. So that's the nice part of it. Um, but I would say in terms of pushing later bedtimes, you can definitely do that after two years of age. Cause that's when they can really rally. You know, you can stay up late one night for a barbecue or for fireworks on July 4th. That's when you can really start looking at later bedtimes. The only downfall I feel like is, uh, I was, cause people are like, Oh, put your kid to bed later. There's always a like, downfall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, they don't sleep longer. Like if I feel like, you know, I can put them down at seven, eight, nine or 10, they're still going to wake up at six 45, like clockwork regardless. Yes. My yeah. kids, my daughter, my toddler is the exact same way. Um, and I think too, with later bedtimes comes in as toddlers get older comes the bedtime stalling. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any advice on how to handle that? Cause right now our bedtime routine with my three-year-old is we start the bedtime process at seven. We're doing reading and cuddling and all that between seven and eight, usually lights out by eight. And if she wants to read on her own or isn't fall asleep right away, we let that go. Lately, she's been staying up a lot later to like nine where I have to go Uh in her room and like be like, okay, lights out, no more like playing with your puzzles or whatnot. But then the stalling kind of starts and then we're doing this little dance and tango. So how can we stop our little toddlers from being so smart and outsmarting me? So children need to make up for any missed sleep hour for hour. So what, and and maybe this isn't happening exactly in your situation, but if there's a toddler who's still taking a nap, let's say they're taking an hour nap every day, and then they're staying up until 10 o'clock at night stalling. I want to hug. I want to kiss. I have to go to the bathroom, which is a big one with potty training. And then they wake up at a normal time in the morning. You're going to see that second day nap be like a three hour nap to make up for the bedtime that happened the night prior. I know that sounds crazy, but it's this big math equation if you think about it. So I always say definitely start with capping the naps at 1.5 hours for toddlers. Okay. So this is over two and a half is what I'm talking about now for the 1.5 hours. And then make sure your wake window on the back end, meaning the time spent awake between the end of the nap and bedtime is a max. And I mean, max of six hours. Okay. Also, um, if you have a, I, I really like the hatch rest clocks. It's like an okay to wait clock. It's oh my white God, I'm obsessed. 
Yeah. Right. I, I have two of them, you know, it's a white noise machine. It's, it's a, um, a nightlight. And then it's also that okay to wake feature, meaning it changes different colors. So what I do is I put the clock in charge, meaning it's in charge of me. So I have it programmed on my phone at eight o'clock. This goes, you know, purple and it makes this noise and, oh my gosh, it, I got to go. The clock's the boss. And, but you, you have to adhere to that boss. You can't be like, oh, well I'm feeling extra sweet tonight. So I'm going to sit here for 15 more minutes. Cause they're going to pick up on that. And they're going to know that you can bend against the clock. But if the clock is boss and you're consistent with it, coupled with that wake window and that 1.5 hour max nap, then that will help you get back to your bedtime. Uh, I love that advice with the clock being boss. I'm going to have to try that because, you know, it's funny you're saying about the naps. Cause I noticed she naps at daycare sometimes. And when she naps and gets in the habit of napping and making up, going through that cycle that you kind of explained with the, uh, making up for the sleep is when we get into this horrible tango. Um, and on the weekends, we usually just do quiet time. She usually doesn't nap, but when she does get a nap, it's a hassle, but that's really great advice with the hatch using it as a boss. I'm going to try that. Yes. Yes. And then just, you know, with toddlers, we have to also be, you know, fair, but firm reward systems work well too, but really having a routine, one book, not two books, one song, not two songs, and then staying firm with that. Even if we just have to sit outside of the doorway and they can verbally hear us say, it's time for sleep. You know, I'm right here. It's time to go to bed, something like that. And then you can read a magazine, a book, look at your phone, whatever you want to do, but they have to know that you're serious or else they will smell blood. (laughs) They're smart. I mean, they're like, they're so smart. And this, I mean this in the best way, but they're so manipulative. Like you said, if they start realizing like, oh, the clock really isn't the boss, they will use that against you so quickly. So I think it, yeah, consistency is such a big thing. Huge with toddlers. Mm Mm-hmm. What advice do you have? And I've noticed this, um, a couple of my friends will say like, oh, my husband really wants the baby not sleeping in our room anymore and I'm still nursing. So it's easier. What advice do you have for parents that maybe aren't on the same page when it comes to sleep shaping and sleep training? Like, how do you find that middle ground? Yeah, that's, that's super tough. That's actually one of the things that, you know, I ask when, when families come to me or like dads will email me and be like, hi there, I need my baby to sleep. And (laughs) I actually, early on you guys, I got, um, I was hired by a dad and he was totally on board. And then the mom got on the phone and she was like, I'm not doing this. And she didn't do it. And then she didn't do it. And then it didn't work. And then I saw her like a year later in a Facebook group saying like, oh yeah, hers don't work. And I'm like, but you didn't even want to do it. And you didn't even want to be there. And so number one, you know, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to go for it and make sure everybody's on the same page. And, you know, maybe if it's a, um, you know, you're, your wife doesn't want to do it or your husband doesn't want to do it. Maybe you say, okay, well, let's go talk to our doctor even about the benefits of having a baby that sleeps all night and how much, you know, how they're going to flourish and how in better moods they're going to be. They're going to take better naps. They're going to go down for bedtime, meaning there's more time for us. Hint, hint (laughs) that helps, you know, and you, 
it, it really just come, it boils down to, you know, what are your priorities? And a lot of the time sleep plays into those priorities. You know, it's having fun and being social. Well, if your kid isn't well rested, they're going to be a terror on those social events. Do you see what I mean? If they're not sleeping right. And so I think, you know, sleep is a huge foundation of childhood. And once we instill these uh, routines and we instill baby falling asleep on their own, it just, it, everything kind of, it just makes parent parenting easier overall, but you don't see it. And sometimes until you get there, you know, when you're looking on the outside in, it's easier to see. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes I think too, you just feel like, oh, this is just the way it's going to be. We're just not going to sleep for months. Cause, but that's what everybody tells us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you'll never get sleep. You'll never get sleep. And then you'll hear some people they'll say like, oh, well, my kid just naturally, like, I don't know what I did, but he slept 12 hours from like eight weeks on. You're like, you did something. It wasn't just like luck or just, a you know, or maybe some people do get lucky with a good baby. But I think if you consistently have good sleepers, you're probably following some sort of plan. Right. Right. And you can start as early as birth. You know, there's things that you can do from day one to encourage that, but, you know, definitely I would say in the span of zero to five years, you are going to experience some bump in the road, you know, whether it be that regression or dropping a nap, or maybe even you have the perfect sleeper until baby's 15 months old and they go to daycare for the first time and get a cold. Guess what? They can't breathe at night. They're going to cry all night long out for you. So, or cry out all night for you. So there's a lot of things that can happen in the first, you know, zero to five years, but in general, you can definitely start from the beginning, you know, with those things we talked about the routines and setting up the right environment. You know, thinking of that, like, you know, they get sick or, um, for us two years ago, vacation was a big turning point. Um, our Uh, son realized that if he cried enough, he could just sleep in the bed with us. And we let him do it because we were on vacation. We needed sleep. We didn't want to wake up the whole, you know, the whole family oh, yeah. is in the house. Mm-hmm. And then we get home and he was like, okay, who's sleeping with me tonight? And it was like, how, how do we yeah. break this? So what do you yeah. do if you get into the trap of giving in for vacation or because they're sick and now it's like, all right, I have to get back onto like a good routine and habits. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny. You're almost there with your four-year-old, but I would say, you know, vacationing with children under five, it's just parenting in a different location. So it's not really like you're going to lay by the pool and relax quite yet. Um, I, like I said, the, the, you start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when they're five or your youngest is five when it comes to vacations and then it starts getting real fun. Right. Um, but this is what happens to a lot of people. They go on vacation. Often it's with family. We're sharing a house. Baby wakes up. Oh my gosh, it's going to wake up the whole house. I don't want that. And we do whatever we can do to get them back to sleep. Even if it's something that we don't do at home. And then when we come home, you think to yourself, oh my gosh, he's going to want to get in bed with me, especially toddlers. You know, they're going to want to get in bed with me because I, I was able to do it for a week in you know, Hawaii. So why can't I do it now? So it's really important. The first night you come back is to go back to your normal at home, at home routines, ASAP. So we, you know, vacations over. No, no, honey, we did that on vacation. I can't wait to do that again with you though. When we go back to Hawaii, okay. Time to lay in bed and that night. Right. So we just have to go back really quickly. And I think, you know, with children that have, habits formed around bedtime and falling asleep on their own previous to vacation. You're looking at maybe one to two nights of a little bit of disruption post vacation. And then on that third night, it should, everything should start to go back to normal. But yeah, a lot of people get into those tricky situations. Yeah. You think it's like nice in the moment. You're like, Oh, well, this is great. Now he's, you know, he's sleeping, he's in the bed with us. It's not a big deal. And then yeah, you get home and you're like, well, 
probably would have been better off maybe uh, yeah. being a little firmer while on vacation, but oh, hindsight's always 2020. Yeah. Right. And I do have, and I'm, we'll talk about it at the end probably, but I do have something on my website. If people reach out to me, it's a little DIY guide traveling and sleep. And it's just a printable guide that you can print off, take with you. And it really walks you through what to do on vacation so that you don't have this huge regression once you return. I was actually getting ready to transition to that. So you have so many great resources on your Instagram broken out by age group, tips, advice, regressions, daylight savings, switching hour. I mean, you cover everything, but then you also have more in-depth courses for those who maybe need a little bit of extra help. Can you describe those courses and the different ones you offer? Absolutely. So we spoke about sleep shaping, which is, you know, the routines and being consistent and staying on top of our nutrition and the sleep shaping is really, um, carved out in my newborn sleep Academy class. This class, actually all of my classes never expire, but this is really for the zero to three month range. You can get it prior to having your baby. You can get it up all the way up until your baby is 13 weeks of age. And this program is designed to give you those tools from day one that I had no clue about, right. Um, to help you get those long naps, to get babies sleeping on their own, to get them to start sleeping through the night and drop feeds naturally. There is a way to do it, but you know, you got to pinpoint it and zero in on it. A lot of the things that the, or the tools that I did not have as a first time mom, I wanted to make sure we're in this class. Then we also talk about drowsy, but awake. Everybody says, we want to see you do drowsy, but awake. And I was like, well, okay. So in this class, I show you with three different age ranges, zero to four, five to eight, nine to 12, how to put a baby down drowsy, but awake. Yes, it can be done even with children that have never done it. So it's kind of interesting to see that. And then, you know, it clues a lot of people into, oh, it's actually not so hard, but I, you know, I have to give it a try because with anything, you know, if you try something one time, you guys, it's not going to work, you know, it's being consistent and starting those routines and doing them day in and day out. Children pick up on routines in about three days and then form habits closer to 21 days. Okay. Um, I also have a three to four month regression class right around the three month mark is when people start seeing fussy babies, not willing to go down in the crib and super short naps, like 20 minute naps no matter what they do, uh, night wakings can increase night feedings can increase. And this mini class, this regression class, only $49. It is really designed to help you get on top of the regression. So it doesn't swallow you up because what happens is that it can bleed over into the next age range and affect your child for years to come. Because even if you had a great sleeper, they start waking up every two to three hours again, like a newborn, or they start refusing to go down for naps. You introduce new things to help them get there. And then here you are helping them every single time for the rest of time, right? So if you're already past that regression phase and baby isn't going down to the crib or isn't able to fall asleep, drowsy, but awake, or still waking up at night for multiple feeds, then you would enter into the baby sleep training category, which would be my class, my baby sleep Academy for five to 18 months. It is sort of a, so I don't do an all, um, one where the highway approach, it is very modern. All my programs are very modern and up to date, but it really is sort of a choose your own adventure. So, if, um, parents are sharing a room with baby, um, bed sharing with baby is a big one. People come to me to, with, you know, I'm bed sharing with baby. How do I get them out? How do I get them into their room? What do I do? Um, you know, they're feeding all night. Um, families that already have a child in the crib, but they're refusing to sleep families that are feeding babies multiple times, but their doctors already said, let them cry it out, but you don't want to cry it out. There's all these different scenarios. 
And I tried to take what I learned over, I made this class last year. So I tried to take everything that I had received as feedback over the last six years and just put it in to this hour and a half class, the baby sleep Academy that people can refer to back multiple times for five to 18 months. So you can use it for, you know, for up to a year, you know, depending on where your baby's at. And especially for those regressions after teething illnesses, travel, all that good stuff. I think I love that you do more than just cry it out. I feel like when I was trying to figure out what works, I either got a lot of, oh, cry it out or just Mm -hmm. feed on demand. I'm like, well, there's gotta be an in-between. And I think that's probably why people feel so lost or get into the mindset of, I'm just not even gonna worry about it. This is just my reality because I don't like either of those two options, but there's so many other things that people can do. Right. And I think too, I think it's important to note too, you know, once you get into the baby sleep training, area. So meaning children that are over five months, crying isn't, you know, obsolete. You're going to see some pushback when you introduce a new routine that, you know, where a baby has been dependent on something to fall asleep for the last five months of their life, or maybe your baby's 12 months old and you've got to reverse some habits that are maybe undesirable to introduce new ones. So you are going to get a little bit of pushback. Um, crying with my programs is very minimal and it's very temporary. I, but I think it's important to let people know, you know, you you're likely to see some pushback, but it's the same type of pushback. If you were to take away a knife that they found on the kitchen counter, you're like, no, we're not going to let you play with this knife. And they're going, you know, it's that kind of crying. They're not alone. They're not scared. They're not hungry. We cover all these bases. So any pushback that you may see as a result, is super temporary and due to the changes that you're making and not due to something, you know, horrible going on in the nursery, for example. Well, this has been so helpful. Lauren, thank you so much. Tell everyone how they can find you, your Instagram and your website. Absolutely. So you can find me at sleepandthecity.com. That's where you can find my classes. I have a lot of free resources on my blog as well, as long as some sleep must haves to take along with your journey. And then uh, Instagram. So I'm, I'm big on Instagram guys. Sleep and the city is my handle. I also have a sister site. It's toddler sleep. If you have babes over the age of two that you can refer to. And um, that's where you can message me directly. We're always on. We're we're always willing to help. And we post a lot of free tips there as well. Um, you can also book an appointment with me. If you'd rather just speak to a human, I do accept appointments as well. And those are available through my website or setting up with me through Instagram direct message. And we'll be sure everyone listening, will be sure to tag Lauren, um, on our Instagram, uh, with this episode so that you can find all of her resources and reach out to her for the courses and additional help as you need it. But Lauren, this was so helpful. I wish I can't believe I didn't like know about you before my baby was born. I feel like this is the best thing (laughs) that you could do for yourself as an expecting mom is to really think of a sleep plan. Yes. Date nights, vacations. I mean, having a child that's happy all the time. I mean, it can be yours, you know, you just have to kind of get on the path to get there. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. We appreciate it. Thank you guys. You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're Body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At Body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a Pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. 
In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are Body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com.